Hello, I'm Kerry Lunigan. Welcome to the Weekly Grill. Today, the pointy end of Australia's red meat industry, the markets, where we sell the vast bulk of what we produce. In fact, around 75% of our beef and veal production is exported. Joining me on the grill to uh, give us the drum on markets around the world is the General Manager of International Markets for Meat and Livestock Australia, Andrew Cox. Andrew Cox, welcome. G'day, Kerry. How are you? Very well, thank you. Andrew, you're based in Singapore for MLA, and you're, you're just back from a, a big marketing event in South Korea, which I know at the moment that country is absolutely booming. Uh, South Korea is a significant market. What exactly were you doing there? Yeah, Korea's been uh, a very steady market for Australia. It's probably been our one of our best, if not the best, markets for beef in the last 10 years in terms of growth. Um, and so it's become a high-value market. We've got diverse range of products uh, into Korea. And there's a for 20 years, Meat and Livestock Australia's run a, uh, a grand seminar in Seoul, which uh, brings all of the trade together from distributors, uh, importers, food service companies, retailers, etc. Uh, bring them all together and hear our latest projections forecast, hear what we're up to on the marketing front and have a good meal at the same time. So we've been unable to have that for the last four years because of COVID. So the one that we had just up last week in Seoul was the first face-to-face uh, large-scale meeting that the team's been actually able to conduct since 2019. Uh, we had 450 of the trade members there, um, and it was a really, really good night. It was probably, I think it was the largest attendance that we've ever had, and so that's a great indication of the market at the moment and the, the sort of interest that they've got in speaking to Australians. Uh, and looking at Australian beef, and, and not just beef these days, the, the Korean sheep meat market's boomed in the last 10 years. It's gone from only 3,000 tonnes, almost a, a byline down the export stats, and now last year they took 21,000 tonnes of sheep meat, so it's become our third biggest sheep meat market. I believe South Korea is absolutely booming. This uh, food fair in Seoul, does that signal that they, these food fairs which MLA was famous for around the world, are they back on the agenda now? Yeah, they're sort of um, the anchor of what we do with the trade. We organise Aussie beef, lamb and goat pavilions uh, in major trade shows around the world. South Korea, we don't have one. That was more an MLA-designed event to sort of replace sort of engagement that you'll find uh, in the large trade shows. So actually FHA trade shows on this week in Singapore. Uh, we have CL in Shanghai coming up in two weeks. Uh, we had a large trade fair in, in Tokyo a couple of months ago, golf food in Dubai a couple of months ago, which is the largest food show in the world these days. And also later this year, we'll have um, Anuga in Cologne. And so they generally attract anywhere between 10 and 35 Australian exporters who want to take a, a, a piece of the stand with us. And then we do the, on the industry side, we obviously have a space where we might have a you know, a grill and a chef and, and try and showcase the product for, for the trade and also educate the trade about sort of those industry systems. Who gets to these sort of events? Uh, importers or wholesalers of Aussie beef or restaurateurs or can the general public enter? They need to be a member of the trade, the, the supply chain in food. So often they're food shows, so, you know, they're 10 football fields long and you'll, you'll have anyone there from the food processing sector. You'll have um, local food products, you have snacks and beverages, but we'll usually be in the meat pavilion. Um, so you'll have the US guys over there, Canada, the Kiwis, the Uruguayans, the Brazilians. So we'll take the Aussie space and 
and try and build an environment where the trade can come and learn and also meet Australian exporters. So the anchor would be buyers. Um, that's who the target would be, importers and distributors. But usually large supermarket chains will come along, restaurateurs will come along, chefs, and, and also media. So it's a, it is that they have become these huge events. Even I was in Dubai recently for that Gulf food, and you could actually see the impact it had on the city, which is not an insignificant-sized city, but the amount of people coming in for that trade fair meant that the, the city was full. It was very hard to get a reasonably priced hotel room, and the, and the traffic was actually, and taxi drivers would even mention that it's busy this week because uh, the, the big food shows on. They've become a, a great space for Australian exporters to engage with the you know supply chain customers. Andrew, are you noticing uh, increased competition for Aussie beef? Indeed, with all these food fairs, and you talk about how many football fields long are these pavilions? <laughs> it seems to be limitless. Kerry, I've never got the whole uh, extent of these shows, but they're in giant convention centres, and they showcase anything. Usually, showcase the entire range of food products that you find uh, in that region, along with all the imports and, and also the um, technology providers. So they're they're huge, huge, huge shows. Um, and yeah, we've, there's certainly no shortage of competition. It's, you know, it's a competitive space. Protein Australia is extremely export focused. There's a lot of other company, countries out there that are looking to grow export markets. And obviously with uh, protein demand forecast to outstrip supply, the, the customers are interested in seeing who's able to supply. But I will say we, it, wherever we go, uh, we speak to consumers, we speak to customers. Australian product has a fantastic reputation and that's been built over decades. So that's a, it's a wonderful asset to Australian farmers and Australian beef industry that, that we've got that, um, that level of, I guess, trust and, and, and our consumer affinity, customer affinity and trust with, uh, with our product. And, and the dollar being about, what is it, 68 or 69 cents would help as well, I guess. Yeah, yeah, true. Although the, I mean, a lot of um, a lot of other dollars are weak against the US, or have been so. Yeah. The yen has obviously been extremely weak, so a lot of the customers have an even weaker currency. But obviously, um, commercial traders used to these things fluctuating and, and take the long term view and, and make sure they're trying to build growth for sustainable growth over the long term. Just another factor to manage for exporters. Now, Andrew, let's start with our markets. And I want to start with China. Not so long back, it was perhaps our biggest customer. And we know what happened. Meatworks were un- uncertified, I think is the word, for export to China. And the volume of Aussie meat heading to China dropped dramatically. What is the current status of our red meat exports to China? I know there's no, been, never been any export ban per se, What's the status at the moment? No, I mean, there has been, there's been a number of suspensions for a number of reasons. And obviously, everyone's very keen to see progress on, on reinstating those, those particular establishments. Um, but you'd probably be surprised to learn, even with those suspensions, China uh, was still, last calendar year, Australia's most valuable red meat market, if you include sheep meat and beef. So it's it's just gone from strength to strength as a market. It's by far the largest meat importing nation, um, but it's taken a lot of product. A lot of that growth has come from other sources. Obviously, there's a huge amount of, of red meat flowing in from South America. The US was was banned from the market until until somewhat recently, and they've managed to gain a foothold. So it's it, it's a huge protein marketplace. We've still got a significant market share and obviously we can't supply the whole the whole red meat demand in for imported red meat in China. So we're we obviously need to 
be judicious about where we target. In China, we definitely fit into above the everyday quality. Um, so we're, we're targeting the premium sector, the modern retail, uh, high-end restaurants, and trying to stay out of that commodity space because that's where the competition is most fierce. But even with the suspensions, and, and obviously the political climate has improved somewhat um, over the last 12 months or so, and there's been some movement um, in other product categories such as barley, so obviously industry is hopeful that we'll see some progress and, and level that playing field um, because the number of suspensions, it's obviously does hamstring the flight of China a little bit. But yes, that, long term, um, there's a wonderful opportunity in China and that, that hasn't changed. So that obviously we're still investing in marketing programs. Indications are that consumers are pretty unfazed by the, the um, you know, the, whatever political differences that we've had and, and yeah. that they let that play out and we're still extremely popular uh, in China in our beef and our sheep meat. I notice uh, beef exports to China from Brazil have been halted temporarily from some BSE issues back in Brazil. What sort of penetration did they make in that market, Brazil, while Australia was uh, persona non grata? Well, a lot of the growth uh, in Chinese beef imports has come from Brazil and others in, in South America. So it's the second time that they've had a uh, atypical BSE case that's led to uh, suspension in the last few years. They tend to work around it, and once you know, obviously they re-establish that they they restock pretty quickly. So it, it does have a bit of an impact in the market in the marketplace. But they're they're pulling in protein from a, a huge array of sources. So at this at this stage, it looks like they've been able to work around it. But Brazil's sending a lot more beef into China than we ever have. Um, and obviously Brazil is a much larger producer of beef. And so I guess in my view, there's, there's opportunity for everyone that Brazilian beef is different from Australian beef. It, it um, hits a different price point, a different, different sector. And yeah. in, in China, there's enough demand to go around at this point and, and likely into the future. Yeah. Just uh, checking on Japan, it will remain a very important uh, market, of course, but uh, a lot happening there. Yeah, I lived in Japan for a few years, and it's um, it's a wonderful market. It's been a wonderful market for Australian beef producers and pretty steady market for sheep meat producers too. It's obviously not growing anymore. The country's actually shrinking, but it remains the the wealthiest country in Asia, um, and they have a affinity for Australian beef, so it's going to remain a, a, a wonderful and valuable market. But obviously growth um, in Asia is coming from, from further afield. And what about uh, box beef I'm talking about here? Indonesia, that's still a growing market. And the other one, which I'm told, is emerging, fast emerging in terms of middle-class wealth is Vietnam. Yeah, so Southeast Asia is obviously um, always exciting for Australian beef industry. It's on our doorstep um, and for a long time growing pretty slowly. But, yeah, there's been obviously very strong economic growth in the region recently. Indonesia's for a long time have been in the sort of top five or six markets for Australian beef, obviously a, a live export uh, destination as well. So that there's the two different main channels that you know that available in that market. Indonesia's yeah, it's growing. It's growing still. It's um, there's obviously with economic growth comes um, a switch to, towards modern retailers, which obviously Australian exporters are more conditioned towards supplying. Um, and obviously there's also the more more people with the sort of wealth where they can afford to dine out on in, in restaurants that will supply Australian beef. So as that economic change takes place, there'll be more opportunities, uh, I think, for Australian beef. And as you mentioned, Vietnam and, and Thailand as well, those two countries have wonderful opportunity. We've actually put, um, we've put 
uh, staff on the ground in in both of those places in the last 18 months for the first time ever for Livestock Australia in the marketing front. Um, and there's some great opportunities there. The economy is strong. The, the people like beef. The people like Australia. Um, and there's a there's a lot of dishes that that we can um, that you can use Australian beef and and um, a lot of sort of uh, propensity to try new things. So those two markets we think will become you know more and more valuable for Australian beef in the in the upcoming period. I'm speaking with Andrew Cox, MLA's general manager of international markets. Andrew, let's head east across the Pacific and the good old USA, where I noticed slaughter numbers have just started a downward turn. Must be good news for Aussie exporters. Yeah, obviously the US is both a, a market uh, and probably our biggest competitor when you look around Asia and, and, and the, these sort of countries we've been discussing that we we compete pretty hard for the in the similar sort of sectors within markets, but uh, it's also a market itself and the, the US uh, supply obviously dictates to an extent a lot of the global price on beef and it's cyclical. So in the in the period we've been in where, where US beef supply is quite plentiful, it's a little bit more difficult um, when we talk to customers. Obviously, the price differential and, and the availability of U.S. product mean that sometimes uh, customers are less inclined to, to, to want to do promotions for Australian products. Obviously, as you said, the, the, that's swinging around at the moment. Um, and so the upcoming period is likely to be a bit the opposite. Um, you know, Australia is moving into a period of, of higher supply and Products available for export markets and the US um, cutting back supply a little bit. So that creates opportunities in the US as well. So US, obviously, uh, there's a wonderful base of trade there for the trims, for, for hamburgers, et cetera. Yeah. And, um, but also there's a, there's a huge amount of opportunity across the country, world's largest food service market, a lot of um, national retail, a Growing demand for grass-fed beef and and that premium grass-fed beef with a with a high net worth consumer and Australia's in a position to supply that product year-round uh, and also growing interest in our high-end beef. So um, Wagyu, long-fed. There's certain products that Australia does extremely well, which um, are in high demand on restaurant tables in New York, Las Vegas, Miami, etc. And not to mention, um, with supply shrinking, there's even opportunities for what we'd call sort of conventional grain-fed beef. We're, we're known in the US for our consistency, our quality, um, and there's, there's certain distributors who actually prefer to use our products. So, yeah, this US holds, and Canada, both hold, um, and even Mexico actually uh, carry that. Those, those three NAFTA economies hold um, increasing opportunity, I think, for Australian beef. That, that grain-fed uh, beef market you mentioned, I think that's intriguing because it sort of emerged out of not much just a few years ago and there's a, there's a lot of interest I hear from America. There is. I mean, uh, I've, I've been into cold stores that, you know, full of Australian sort of 100-day grain-fed beef. And so first, it seems like selling ice to Eskimos because yeah. that product obviously more similar to the domestic supply chain. But there's people in the, as I said, in that supply chain who've come across Australia to Australia and met, met some exporters that they trust and, and the, you know, found a product that suits them and, and they're, they're using it. And I think there'll be more opportunities for even for that sort of product in the, in the next couple of years with, with the US supply a little curtailed. Now, a, a recent United States Department of Agriculture report is forecasting American beef exports in 2023 to fall by 13%. Now, that's a lot of beef to be sourced elsewhere. And hopefully a lot of that from Australia? 
Well, I'd say so. I think, as I said, I've been to most of our major markets, if not all of them. In a lot of them, we compete head-to-head with USB. So, you know, on restaurant menus, on, on retail shelves, that that's the two that you'll most often find side by side. And, and they're certainly, they compete in the sort of spaces that we want to compete in. So um, you wouldn't wish um, drought upon anyone and, and the, the cycles that, that are happening over in that in that market, in that, in that country. But the reduction in supply certainly does create some opportunities for Australian beef on the export front, no doubt about it. Uh, let's head to a completely different story across the Atlantic. First up, the European Union and a potential market of, what is it, $460 million or so, high-income earners. How's the FTA, the planned FTA with the EU, how's that proceeding? Yeah, I mean, it's, the, it's a high-value market, a wealthy consumer base um, with, a, obviously, an existing culture and taste for, for beef. So it's really the last the last remaining territory, once this UK deal goes through, it's the last remaining nirvana for Australian uh, yeah. beef industry. We've sort of got uh, trade deals with most of the world now, and, and EU remains a difficult uh, entity to deal with, of course. Uh, politically, it's quite complex. Um, we're on round 15 of negotiations. The Australian negotiating team from DFAT's there. Round uh, right 15? Now, Round fifteen, yeah. And so you're still doing, and you're still doing the easy stuff. You haven't even started doing agriculture yet. I'm told. Getting towards the pointy end, but obviously um, there's there's some product categories which are considered to be higher risk and therefore dealt with to be dealt with last and beef beef in that category. So trying to close that deal, they're meeting right now. Um, so we have high hopes. Obviously, can't can't talk too much about specifically about um, the ins and outs of, of negotiations, but. Meat Livestock Australia works with um, with industry, uh, with AMIC, Australian exporters, um, and obviously with the Agriculture Department and, and DFAT directly. Um, we have a team approach which has been pretty successful in in other trade deals, and certainly we're hopeful of a good outcome because there's a we've been more or less shut out of that market for for a long time of those markets. Good yeah, luck, good luck with market. the FTA, Andrew. I don't think any producer in Australia is holding their breath waiting for it. But uh, the United Kingdom yeah. is a different story, isn't it? Uh, I know there's been a lot of chatter. What, when might this FTA be signed and actually come into force? Well, it's it's gone through the King. Uh, so the King, King Charles has signed it, has he? King Charles has signed it. Now it just needs wow. an entry into force state. So we're, it's very imminent, Kerry. Um, the great deal for Australian beef industry um, obviously was for a long time our largest market historically and we haven't had meaningful access for a long time so it's a, it is exciting um, it's a it's a good deal it, it liberalizes uh, over 10 years completely um, the market for, for beef and for sheep meat so great, great opportunity for Australian industry we don't know what exact date that will be but it's it'll there's a coronation of that king coming up and the Australian Prime Minister will be in London um, so you think that's quite a good opportunity for for an announceable from from prime ministers so um, if I was a betting man I'd say there'd be something announced around then so it could be enforced within a couple of months if it's signed if uh, if uh, our prime minister signs while he's over there for the coronation it, it could be enforced within a month or so after that that's the hope. Yeah, the next couple of months we should see that market start to liberalise, and, and obviously great opportunities there. The the, um, the natural relationship between the two countries historically, and um, and the, the cultural similarities, etc., mean that we've got a sort of ready-made ready-made market there, and we're, we're quite 
you know, we're, I think we're in a very good position in, in the United Kingdom to, uh, to get some, some product over there. Any, uh, any tips on possible surprise markets emerging for Australia's red meat exports? Um, I mean, there's always opportunities. There's growth all around. I mean, as I said, Mexico before, right on the US's doorstep. But in times like this, there's opportunities provided uh, in that sort of market. Saudi Arabia is worth mentioning. The, I think I've, the, I've been there a couple of times in the last two years. And um, obviously, not a whole lot of Australians know much about the country. Um, it was sort of closed off for a, for a long time. It was even hard to get in and culturally extremely different. But extremely wealthy country, the largest country in the Gulf. Um, Dubai gets all the attention, but Saudi Arabia is really the big brother over there and huge investments in infrastructure, some some cultural liberalisation at the moment. So you'll see a thriving cafe culture now, restaurant scene, which didn't exist five years ago. And the the, uh, Crown Prince there is really trying to move things forward to in a more progressive fashion. So big market for Australian Wagyu, high-end sort of grain-fed beef, but just generally as well, retail uh, and, and mainstream restaurants has, has tremendous opportunities, I think, in that market over time. That's the point one. There's, a hef- there's a plenty of other markets that are growing, and we keep an eye on those ones that are bubbling away across yeah. Asia and, and other places. There's, there's always opportunities growing, Kerry. There's a, a lot of chat about Mexico, I think, the growing middle class there. And Mexicans are big eaters, so uh, I guess we can yep. look at that yep. more strongly in the, in the future. Andrew Cox, looking after international markets for MLA. Thank you for being on the grill with Beef Central. It's great talking to you, Andrew. Thank you. Thanks, Kerry. Great to chat. Thanks. And thank you for joining me today. Until next time, I'm Kerry Lonigan, and this is The Weekly Grill. Mm-hmm.